word. I'm going to say the word. In the beginning was the word. What? Word. 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 Was the word. From the studios of KJZZ in Tempe, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about the literary arts in the state and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. Coming up on Word, National Poetry Month continues in the age of COVID-19. And we're heading to Tucson virtually to check in with our neighbors in Southern Arizona. Everything is moving online right now from a virtual perspective. There have been some interesting and really pretty good online readings. Despite the shuttering of spoken word venues, poets are still sounding their barbaric yops via social media. This poem has a death date, an undetermined expiration, a point when no one will see her face. As we shine a virtual spotlight on poetry this month, we begin with Diana Marie Delgado. She's a recent transplant to Tucson and to the state of Arizona. Unfortunately, due to some technical issues, we weren't able to connect via app. So we apologize for the quality of this phone interview. Diana's poetry is widely published, and I began by asking her how long she's been writing. I began writing poetry when I was growing up over in Southern California. I grew up in the San Gabriel Valley, and I attended community college out there. And it was there that I was introduced to sort of uh, literature of the Mexican-American um, and being from a Hispanic background, that was the first time I really read anything like that. And um, at some point, I just decided to ditch landscape architecture. <laughs> and I was like, I want to be a poet. <laughs> I, I didn't know anything about that. You know, my mom grew up in Mexico. So it was just like a very different thing to decide on. But anyway, I went to UC Riverside and then I went to Columbia University and I actually just moved to Tucson about a year and a half ago. Now, is it true that you are the literary director of the Poetry Center at University of Arizona still? I am, yes, yes. I'm still the the literary director there, and that's the reason why I ended up relocating from uh, New York City so that I could take on that role, which has been fantastic. About this time a year ago, a little over that, I actually met Tyler Meyer, and he gave me a tour of the library, and we just kind of went through and talked about, you know, what was in the stacks, because I had never had the pleasure of going there, and it's just such an amazing space. I mean, architecturally, first of all, but then the amount of poetry that is there is just mind-boggling, and I'm, I'm so pleased that even though your heart was at least maybe at first set on landscape architecture, that you moved to the landscape of the soul. And that's kind of what I think of poetry as. It was absolutely, you know, when you look at it, you can look at it sort of like as a fluke. But then there were also just other signs that sort of made it um, just that that was the direction that I should go in. And, you know, I've never looked back. I've never questioned it. Um, and I get a lot of joy, uh, not only from just being a poet, but also working um, in the literary landscape at the Poetry Center, which, as you said, it's it's like, I, I hate to use the word treasure, but it really is. It, it really is a magical place. Tell me then a little bit about your own writing and how much of your background as someone from Mexican ethnicity, how much does that affect your writing? For instance, do you use the Spanish language in your writing? That's something I thought a lot about, um, and initially as a poet, I didn't really think a lot about it, and it wasn't until later on I started really understanding like my culture um, and how that played a big key part in what I was writing about. I read a lot about my family. I read a lot about 
my own identity as a, as a Mexican woman. And I think um, that plays a huge part in, in my work. And I, I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, one of the things that I'm always curious about is what good is poetry? And I sort of started this particular program to answer at least that question, but many, many others about the literary arts in the state of Arizona and throughout the region of the Southwest. And specifically during this time when you have physical spaces shut down, authors can't move through uh, various workshop writing activities, for instance, person to person, or they can't go to bookstores and have book signings. What do you think poetry does for people in this current age? I think it sustains us by, you know, sharing uh, what someone felt and the challenges that they encountered hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. And that's one of the, the wonders of poetry is that you could pick up something from somebody who's no longer on earth and they have a very similar experience. So I think that there's a way it sustains us through its connection and sustains us through our ability to see ourselves in the lives of those around us and those that have passed on. Well, of course, one of the main reasons why we wanted to talk to you is because this is National Poetry Month. And I wonder if you could talk to me a little bit about your writing process and then what style of poetry you personally favor. Are you more into free verse, for instance? Do you like to dabble in form? Yes, it's exciting. It's National Poetry Month, and it's been really great to see how poets have been innovating, including the Poetry Center, in us either recording poems or doing things that we traditionally wouldn't do in order to reach an audience who has to stay at home. My writing process is either a deluge or, or there's nothing. Uh, but I think that even in the nothing, I'm gathering on notes, I'm watching, I'm observing, and I'm getting ready to write that poem. So that's something in terms of my process of how I kind of come to poetry is I kind of have to wait for it. I do think that people, you know, across the nation are reaching out um, to poets to, again, remember what it means to be a human being, despite all the challenges that, you know, we're encountering. Yeah, and even our own parent network is conducting National Poetry Month in many different ways, and then other various programs that you might hear on public radio stations across the nation are tying into it. And it's just amazing to me because I always think of poetry as being one of the least popular forms read by other people. Of course, academics read it, people who study it read it, people, of course, who are interested in spoken word write it. But I'm just always fascinated that particularly in times of crisis, uh, according to a previous guest that we had on, people do come back to poetry specifically. And I wonder why that is so. There's wisdom, I think, going back to sort of what I shared, you know, originally about it sustains us in its connection to people around us that are currently alive and those that have passed. And I think that that has to do with us looking for wisdom, right? Looking for wisdom, oftentimes looking for guidance um, in how we make our way through these challenging times. And I think that's one of the main reasons why I kind of came to poetry was first as a reader, and somebody who is in search of answers or, you know, wisdom, connections with other people. 
right now, if, you know, you mentioned a little bit about people are kind of innovating and um, the U of A, you know, we, we have an audio video library that has a readings that go back from like 1963. So that's something that people could tap into. And I'm sure that anybody could, could take a look at VOCA and they would be able to find a poem that really spoke to them. That's a really good point. Um, and I think, you know, possibly one thing that poetry has, uh, unlike prose, is that you can kind of deeply investigate a thought or even an intense emotion. And often, obviously, in a much shorter time frame, certainly than a novel, but even a short story or an array of emotions and access that quicker than if you were reading a longer piece, for instance. I wondered if you could take us out with a poem of your own. Yes, I'd love to. I'm going to be reading a poem that appeared uh, recently in the New York Times Magazine, and um, the title of the poem is Never Mind, I'm Dead. Never mind, I'm dead. Come back with me to the ruins. We will look through family photographs. I can show you what the wind and I did. Who keeps the stars from falling out of the sky? Macho, our dog, used to curl up on the patio and yawn. I remember playing on the grass when Mom came to spank me, and he jumped up, bit her hand. That's an interesting poem and a lovely memory of an animal that I think so many of us maybe had taken for granted until we realized this gives me a window to the outdoors. I got to go walk my dog. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. For sure. Man yeah. and woman's best friend, right? <laughs> so was that the impetus for this particular poem? I think the poem went a little bit more beyond that connection. And it had to do with sort of feeling, um, you know, in a moment of feeling protected by the dog. I grew up around pit bulls. Those are not necessarily dogs that are oftentimes sort of seen as family dogs, but I had a pit bull growing up and that dog was just my protector. And it was just a moment in my life that I always remember so fondly that, that the dog thought I was being hurt and it, and it protected me. And that's just something that I always remembered. And then I wanted to write about it. Yeah. Well, and certainly that taps into an emotion that we are feeling right now. We all want to be protected in one way or another. Diana Delgado, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word and sharing your wisdom and your poetry with us. Thanks so much, Diana. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Diana Marie Delgado is the literary director of the Poetry Center at the University of Arizona. You can find out more about her work and the U of A Poetry Center on our website at Word. .kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. If you're feeling a little too distant from your community, the KJZZ mobile app is a great way to stay connected. Stream the station, read the latest Arizona news, or browse for a podcast. Let us help you stay connected on the KJZZ mobile app. It's free in Google Play and the App Store. KJZZ's car donation program accepts all types of vehicles that support the programs you rely on. Whether it's a boat, car, truck, or RV, donating is easy and a great way to support your public radio station. Details at cars.kjzz.org. Your mornings can define the rest of your entire day. Find the $5 you forgot about in your pocket. That might be a good day. 
get stuck in a traffic mess on the 51, probably going to be a bad one. But when you begin your day with Morning Edition, you start fully awake with the latest and most important news to prepare you for whatever comes next. Take control of your day and listen to Morning Edition from 5 until 9 on KJZZ 91.5. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Simmons Bunton has a diverse background. He's the Marketing and Communications Manager for the College of Architecture, Planning, and Landscape Architecture at U of A. He's also a poet and editor. I caught up with him via Skype recently and began by asking about his digital journal. I am the editor-in-chief of Terrain.org, which is an online place-based journal that's been publishing since 1998, and that makes us the oldest and longest publishing online literary journal. And we just recently published with Trinity University Press a book called Dear America, Letters of Hope, Habitat, Defiance, and Democracy. And we're really excited about that. What that's done has taken 80 of the Letter to America contributions that appear online in terrain.org and combine those with 50 new letters and uh, put that in an anthology. Technically, it publishes on Earth Day, April 22nd, but it's actually available for pre-order now. Otherwise, uh, I've been in Tucson for about 20 years, came down here from Denver. I am the author of a couple books of poetry, as well as a book of community case studies called Unsprawl. I'm interested that you guys are the longest running online publication. And why did you start in that format? Because back in the 90s, I don't think a lot of people, even in the late 90s, I don't think a lot of people were necessarily doing that kind of thing. Right. And that wasn't our initial plan either. But when we looked at how much it cost to start a print magazine and the fact that we had neither experience nor money, going online seemed the way to go. And it's kind of funny, really. Uh, Living in Denver at the time, I had an Internet provider and um, he was BOD.net was the name of his company. And so we started terrain at BOD.net slash terrain initially and then realized, well, we need to get our own domain name. And so it's it's really grown from there. It's an all-volunteer organization, totally free to access and also advertisement-free. I was in Tucson a little bit over a year ago now on a couple of different assignments. One of them was for a news story, but the other was uh, checking out the Poetry Center there, which is just amazing. And Tucson just has an incredible poetry scene. Living here in Phoenix um, and with the nature of the work that I do, I don't get to travel very much. But I'm wondering, you know, in the circles that you travel in, what are you hearing from poets these days? Obviously, brick-and-mortar spaces are closed down, cafes, uh, performance spaces, that kind of thing. It's hard for your neighborhood poet to even just put a tip jar out and uh, get extra grocery money. It is, and I don't know very many poets who make money off of poetry anyway. (laughs) But, uh, you know, everything is moving online right now from a virtual perspective. There have been some some interesting and and really pretty good online readings. I know Copper Canyon Press with Ellen Bass, who's a contributor to Dear America, just had a really lovely online reading. It's true it's not exactly the same as an in-person reading. You don't have that visceral connection with a poet or with the audience. But I think in the interim, until we can all get back together it's a pretty good way to go. And it's one of the things that we've done on terrain.org for a while is include some video, but always include audio of the poems we publish. And then I would add that what we're seeing a lot now are poems about coronavirus, about the pandemic. In fact, we'll be publishing one from John Davis over in Santa Fe called Ode to the Coronavirus. 
So it's definitely uh, in the poet's uh, heart right now as well. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen numerous examples of such. Your site is just beautiful. I mean, aesthetically, it's extremely pleasing to my personal eye. I don't have a web background or anything like that. But I do love the fact that you post audio clips of the poets reading in their own voice. As an editor at Terrain, what does the publication look for? What are the types of, I guess, content and you know, maybe even style that you look for? From a poetry perspective, you know, we don't really have necessarily a set mm, genre or uh, school even that we're looking for. Uh, I would say surprise, delight, you know, those things that any, I think, literary publication is looking for. And, of course, something about place. It doesn't even have to be overt. Perhaps it's about placelessness. The other thing I would say is we probably tend to publish more narrative poetry than anything else, but we've done some really cool erasures and some visual and concrete poems and some video poems. So something that really uh, makes us stop and uh, maybe even gasp a little bit is something we're looking for. Of course, this is National Poetry Month, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you. We don't often get a lot of time to frequently actually talk to editors. We try to focus on writers and such and focus on the state of Arizona and the region of the Southwest in general. Now, that might be, you know, a visiting author who comes through one of the local bookstores, for instance, doing a book signing tour or something like that. But of course, those things are are not happening. You are also a poet yourself. And I I wondered if uh, you had a piece of poetry that you'd like to read. My two books of poems, uh, which are Bloom and Riverfall were published by Ireland's Salmon Poetry, so so I have a connection there. And I thought it's April, but I would read a May poem, if I may. Absolutely. Great. Uh, it is called, In May I Consider My Websites. My client reminds me that the April coupon is still online, though it's mid-May, and though there is a white-winged dove at the feeder just arrived from Mexico or maybe Belize. And that reminds me of the Mexican birds of paradise fanning the backyard in yellow and red, the orange globe mallow now past prime at the rooted and clenching toes. Beyond the wall, the scarlet ocotillo flowers are fading to brown, lost in the arid silhouette of the mountains seemingly painted behind them, which reminds me of the trail my daughters and I hiked late last month past aromatic creosote the rains lingering this winter, past slate and prickly pear that shine like windows in the sunlight. The view from here is, of course, gorgeous. And that reminds me of the website I'm crafting for my neighbor's bed and breakfast with its elegant landscaping and utterly modern IKEA decor. They are sure to be a hit, the square tables and chairs and atmosphere, I mean, which reminds me of the coupon again, And now that it's half past the month of May, or more, I better get to it as I pause at the front room's inviting window, reminding me as a Gila flicker drops in of the yard's single saguaro open and blooming. 
What a beautiful poem. And we have our own poetry contest every February. We actually tie into National Haiku Writing Month, and we put it out to the universe and invite people to send their poems. And, of course, as you can imagine, some of the imagery that you used in your own poems, specifically prickly pears, creosote bushes, saguaro cactus, those kinds of things come up. Uh, But I love the interplay that you have between nature, which I think we're all sort of looking to at this stage of the game and then your kind of daily life away from it right yeah obligation what we want to do versus what we have to do and well speaking of the language of our natural landscape here because this book was published in ireland this is from bloom i actually included a glossary of terms such as ocotillo and agave and arroyo because i figured maybe Many of the readers over there won't know those Spanish terms. Yeah, absolutely. And that mallow is kind of the bane of my existence, personally, in my (laughs) own yard. Do you happen to have one more short one that you might share with us going out? Yeah, I'll read a a poem that is dedicated to my older daughter, Annalise, about something she said when I came in after uh, playing basketball, if I may. Again, this is Friday afternoon. Perhaps it was the rare day of rain or uneven weave of my walk as I arrived home after hours on the courts, blue shorts swimming around my knees that caused you to condemn my skinny legs. I mean, really skinny, Dad, you said, kicking me back to my freshman year and the bully who called me Flamingo, the name sticking that entire Florida year, though my legs were neither scaled nor scarlet which caused me to study the sleek white heron stalking the high school ponds and how I wanted then, as perhaps now, to draw my legs tighter, to share the black reeds and dagger quick beak of that pearly bird, to launch into the sultry air, water trailing like a whip behind me. And wouldn't you, my slim daughter, also like to split the earthly skin of your body so that your own thin and hollow bones could catch this wind and lift you up and over the day's swirling storm? Or consider the breakaway crane, feathers thick and gray like the clouds now spilling over the mountains, flower stem legs flowing behind the vase of his body in flight, the neck not crooked but firm and straight, head aimed forward, true north. Another beautiful poem, and I think what's lovely about that to me personally is you remind us that we as humans are in fact part of this thing we call nature. Yes. Well, Simmons Bunton, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word. Uh, You are one of the editors at Terrain.org, and we wish the publication continued success. Simmons, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity. You can find out more about Simmons Bunton and Terrain on our website at word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. Maybe you've lived in the Valley for years, or maybe you just got here. If you're curious about Arizona and have questions, KJZZ wants to know about them. Send us a question at qaz.kjzz.org, and if yours is selected, KJZZ reporters will investigate.
Hey, it's Peter Sagal. Some people think that smart speakers are a futuristic surveillance device straight out of George Orwell, constantly monitoring you as you engage in your most private actions and conversations. Well, they are. But did you know they're also a radio? That's right. You can ask your smart speaker to play NPR to hear your local station and all your favorite NPR shows. And it will. It will also report you to the central ministry. But why not enjoy yourself while you still can? Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Janelle Spencer is a poet and a teacher at a Tucson Charter High School. I also caught up with Janelle via Skype and began our conversation by wanting to know how she and her students are coping with virtual instruction and learning. I teach juniors and seniors. I also teach at Pima Community College. Um, So I'm teaching juniors, seniors at the high school and then the freshmen I'm in the beginning writing courses at Pima. So it's been kind of strange um, for any teacher, I'm sure, but um, engagement with the college has been really great. All of my students have continued to show up for live lectures and contacted, reached out. They're all doing well, so that's good. Nobody's sick. Um, And with the high school students, I teach at a charter school where the students are already behind. Um, So it's been rough because they're probably going to be more behind um, after all of this. But but it's partly online already, so they were already used to a little bit of it. But it's really helpful to see them in person to really encourage them through their work. I'm helping them through curriculum that's already set for them, but I can also design curriculum um, specifically for them. And so I had like a band book course that they were doing really great in. And now (laughs) it's hard to uh, get in contact with them sometimes. How do you handle things like group discussions? Is everyone in some type of app where they can weigh in? And is that just one at a time? Um, It hasn't been that way for the school that I teach at. It's mostly just been one-on-one communication now with the high schoolers. Yeah, I, I can understand um, the challenges in that. I remember teaching literature in university and college, and one of the greatest thrills was always getting people to gather in small groups. And so we'd sort of, you know, I'd put out some questions and then have folks meet for five, ten minutes, depending upon what we might be going through at any given time. And then, you know, we would sort of go around to groups, and uh, one person might be a spokesperson, for instance, and just talk about their ideas on a particular question or feedback or something like that. And I just can't imagine, although I have taught online courses, I cannot imagine that being sort of the flavor of the day, if you will. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's what's missing in online platforms is that they don't feel as much uh, responsibility, I think, to speak out as well. (laughs) They can kind of hide behind their computer, it it feels like. Oh, that's a good Um, point. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in the classroom, um, maybe they feel more responsibility to speak. They're there. You know, some, some of them don't. <laughs> now, you mentioned you also teach at Pima Community College. Yeah. And your yeah, classes were online before spring break? Uh, no, only no. after. <laughs> only after. Okay. So how many weeks now? Uh, because I, I don't know if you take spring break the same time at the college as you do at your high school. 
Nope. The spring break for the college was um, was earlier, was actually uh, when it was all happening, right? So they took an extra week of spring break through the college, and then we just started a couple weeks ago. And then we have, let's see, four, five, about five, six weeks left. Right. And so that's going to be all online from here on out. Well, the biggest reason why we wanted to talk to you and, you know, thank you for all you're doing as a teacher on multiple levels. It's, uh, you know, something that's very difficult to adjust to if you're not used to it. But even if you are, like you say, missing out on that sort of face-to-face communication, I think can be kind of detrimental for both the student and the teacher. But this is National Poetry Month here in April, and we wanted to talk to folks in Tucson. I would have liked to have gotten down there like I did last year, and unfortunately that's just not the reality these days as we practice social distancing and whatnot. Are you incorporating the month into your teaching in any way? Well, in the Writing 102 class I teach at Pima, we analyze literature. So I incorporate poems and short stories all throughout the class. So that's kind of fun for me. And do you actually allow your students to write poetry? Is that part of the curriculum to practice the art? Well, they analyze, they analyze poems and short stories. And then, yeah, at the end right now, I have a creative project that's extra credit if they want to try um, creating their own poem and if they want feedback from me. And do you envision that many will take you up on it? And have you done this kind of thing in the past? Yeah, actually, it was a request from one of my students in the past um, because they knew my background and they were surprised that I didn't have some kind of creative project at the end. They thought that the course seemed to be building sort of to that. You know, we look at uh, uh, other artists' work. We try to understand what it means, what they were doing. We study craft um, and do analysis in that way. And then we also look at social lenses and critique and social critique, these kinds of things throughout the class. And then I had a student go, I thought at the end you might have us write our own stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So someone else may be a virgining poet. That particular student and others who have expressed interest in writing poetry, what is it that they have told you that they like about the art form? I don't know that they've told me specifically what they like about it, maybe because at their level, I'm just beginning kind of exploring. They're maybe not sure (laughs) what they like about it, except that um, perhaps it gives them freedom to express, especially emotion, emotions in our society, which is becoming more and more accepted to express how we feel. Um, But a lot of students can feel like maybe they're, still in groups or have a family that looks down upon expressing what they're what they're feeling at the moment. So the the art gives them an opportunity to do that without shame. Wow, that's a really impressive point. And I think in many ways, because poetry is oftentimes short, certainly shorter than a short short or a short story, obviously much shorter than a novel, not that there isn't epic poetry, but maybe the length, for instance, gives them the opportunity to maybe investigate a range of emotions without having to read a novel, certainly to say nothing of writing one. Yeah, it's a bit of a a shorter introduction, even though they can spend a lot of time on it. They can think on it a lot. Um, but it certainly allows them a short space to, to explore. You know, I came across something online that a friend sent to me. This is from a very popular website called Medium. 
medium.com. That's M-E-D-I-U-M.com. And we will link the full article on our website at word.kjzz.org. This was written by Eric Rittenberry, and the title is called Rising from the Bones of a Dying World. The Way Forward is the way back. And one of the quotes that really struck me is this. Perhaps a revolution is upon us, a revolution of higher consciousness and poetic simplicity. An overdue middle finger to the idol of progress and a return back to the soul-nurturing elemental things. The closer you get to real matter, rock, air, fire, and wood... Boy, the more spiritual the world is, as Jack Kerouac wrote. Of course, that's not a poem, but it talks about the poetic simplicity of what's going on right now. And I wonder what you thought about that particular mindset, given what we are up against in the age of the coronavirus. Hmm. Well, it's interesting because I keep on seeing posts of um, (laughs) kind of people saying things like, oh, because we have so much time right now. (laughs) And I find that I don't have any more time than usual (laughs) because I am still teaching um, full-time over, you know, uh, over full-time. I'm I'm dedicating myself to all these things. I dedicate myself to the community in different ways, um, including teaching. And I'm I'm doing an online journal right now, too, and we're doing our first issue, and I haven't stopped. Um, so maybe I haven't gone back to the simplicity. I'm still in this busy mode, um, and the, the coronavirus hasn't slowed my life down. But it has slowed life down for a lot of people I'm seeing as they post and try to get back to those moments that a lot of the times when we're in the car and we're um, rushing off to the next thing, uh, we don't appreciate. But I think poetry always tries to. Yeah, it sounds like you don't even have time to stop and smell the roses, as it were. <laughs> well, I I love my home. I moved right before all this happened into a space that's really beautiful. And I have a large backyard with trees. And that's my practice of writing is to stop and enjoy all of that. And I need to do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> Through think all of it. people are kind of reconnecting back to sort of like, what's the most important, right? What What's the most important things in my life? It's certainly not all of these gigas that I might be surrounded by. It's human contact, not necessarily face-to-face, but maybe reinvigorating the passion to write. I've heard a number of people that have said, wow, I finally got to a particular book on my reading list. It was a 1,000 pages, and I was never going to get to it. You, as you mentioned, are an avid teacher, but also a writer as well. And I wondered if you would take us out with a poem of your own, Janelle. Absolutely. Here's a poem called Living Art that I wrote for Tupelo's 30 uh, Poems in 30 Days uh, Challenge. Have you heard of that? I haven't heard of that particular one, but we conduct a contest here every February now, two years running, called Nahai Raimo, which is National Haiku Writing Month. It was started by a poet named Michael Dylan Welch, who lives up in Sammamish, Washington State. 
and uh, he encourages people to write a poem every single day. Of course, what you're talking about isn't confined to haiku, but it sounds like it's a sort of similar process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so I wrote this poem um, thinking about how we talk about life and things in life being ephemeral, and we want art to be long-lasting. But I find that a lot of times art isn't necessarily long-lasting either, um, or as much as we create doesn't last um, as we would want or it doesn't stand the test of time, all of our poems, right? <laughs> Only a few do. And so I wrote this poem thinking about that, and I think that it speaks to the current times as well. So this is called Living Art. This poem has a death date, an undetermined expiration, a point when no one will see her face. She will not bring any contrived comfort from timelessness is no foil for your hurried decay, is not headless like a goddess, body preserved in ancient stone. This poem is alive. Carry her, though her memory withers, for as long as she whispers for you. That's beautiful. And of course, the first thing that I notice is the personification using the female pronoun she, to describe this poem, why did you choose that particular pronoun, and how is a poem like a person? In the same way that our photograph is a reflection of us, so is our art. And I I started in the first draft, it was it, the poem was it, but the last stanza ended with carry her. And since it's a living art, it's a living being, I decided to make the poem a person, and since it's a reflection of me as the author, but of humanity, um, I made it a she reflecting my own gender identity. And was this something that you wrote during these last several weeks? How old is this poem? This poem I wrote in January. And did you have coronavirus on your mind at all? I mean, we had only just really heard of it at that point. I didn't. I was just thinking about how culture can be lost and how art doesn't always stand the test of time. And I um, I have newer work. <laughs> I've been writing, but I just thought that maybe this poem would speak to that moment and be a reflection of our fears as well in the current time. Well, Janelle Spencer, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word. We really appreciate you sharing your work with us. And thank you so much for the work that you also do as a teacher in both high school and college and all of the things that you do to connect people to the art form of poetry and literature in general. Janelle, thanks so much for coming to Word. Thank you, Tom. You can find out more about Janelle Spencer on our website at word.kjzz.org. And that'll do it for this episode. We'll be back at the end of April with our final installment for National Poetry Month. In the meantime, send us a message via email. We'd love to read your recommendations for future guests or even something you liked about this episode. There's an email link on our website. I'm Tom Maxidon, and thanks for listening. Word. Word? Word. Was the word. 
thanks for listening to Word from the KJZZ Studios in Tempe, Arizona. You can find all episodes online at word.kjzz.org.